Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy30 and enter BrainCandy30. Looking radiant as ever. Likewise. What is your secret? I was thinking that you are in a yellow, like, <gasps> not me, but like you're in like a yellow, like, like, you know, like uh, Picasso's blue period. Or whoever, why? Whoever, like I had a blue period. And I've been seeing you in a lot of yellow. Wonder what's Sunny. up with that. <gasps> and the other day you posted this real cute picture of you in a red and yellow bikini. Yeah. And I loved that you had red and yellow croquet balls in the photo. I it noticed looked that. looked matchy. And I was like, oh my God. Adorbs. I know. I noticed that after I posted it, and I was what? It was probably one of those things where you don't know that you're like why you yeah. chose that, and you chose it because you looked saw those colors together on your own lawn. Yeah. Oh. Can you believe how crazy? My or you just went is? back to McDonald's. You went to McDonald's, and you were just thinking about delicious French fries. I always am. Right. I haven't been there in a while. God, but I haven't been there in so long. You only go when I like make you. I That's think. true. I went one time, and it was when I was pregnant, and I was really craving a hamburger. And then Adam went out and got us hamburger. And besides that, I hadn't been in six, over six years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And not again. And not again. Not since. Well, if you ever have one, I'll think you're preggers. So. Yeah, that's probably true. If I ever get a strong craving for McDonald's $1 hamburgers <laughs> or whatever they are. Today is episode 236, and we are so happy to be here. Mm-hmm. You're stuck with us. Have that's you, true. Have you told a friend about our show? You should. You should. I have friends who are telling me that their friends are going to be at our karaoke night. That's crazy. It's like, what is it? The six degrees of separate or however yeah. many degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. It's like everybody's also connected to our show. We have a karaoke meetup coming up if you're in SoCal yeah. on the 20th. And um, we're going to, you can just come on over and sing some karaoke. I was choosing songs. Yeah. I want to do. I've been thinking too. I want it that way by the back street. Ooh, that's a good one for you. That kind of fits your range, too. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, I think I'm going to do Whoop, There It Is. Wow. Crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Tag team. Back again. Oh, my gosh. You know all the words? Are you going to rely Rats on the sex, screen? Baby, let me get <laughs> Party on. Party people going to hear some noise. DC's in the house. Jump, jump, for door. Wow, there was a sneak preview you just yep. got. There you go. That's all you get, people. When you... I don't know if you know karaoke etiquette, but is oh, it like, you know, like you're a loser if you read the words? No. Okay. I just, don't think so. Let's <laughs> just check it. Because, you know, maybe it is like in the real dedicated circles. Oh, no. Oh, you know what's so funny? I, I was like, <laughs> Landon and I were just like singing together in the car the other day, and we were like singing some song without the music on. It was... uh like I think it was a, a Migos Cardi B song or whatever, and we both looked at each other. We're like, "Damn, we don't know any of these words. We <laughs> think we do when the radio's on, but then when we tried to like sing it ourselves, we were like, not so good. We did the whole like singing the raw, like just basically scatting it. I meant to yell at you because no lie, I had one of those nights where you wake up in the middle of the night. And I couldn't sleep, and mm-hmm. all I could hear was what sniffing butts, <laughs> meeting butts, having a good time. It's splash. She is the worst. It is in there, and it'll ne- it, it's it's the that that it'll stay in your head. It's, it's a like real that earworm. Kit cars for kids song. You know that song, Susie. I won't- <laughs> 
It's already done. You already did it. How's that go? One eight seven seven cars for kids. K A R S. First of all, hate any time they use the stupid K instead of a. D- d- what? I even feel that way about the KKK. Like, why was that necessary? <laughs> why? Do, what does that stand for? Ku Klux oh, yes, Klan, that's right. It does. Oh my god, that was a dumb thing to say. I don't understand. Uh huh. I don't like any of that. Probably a bad like, example. Craft corner and both spelled with K's. No, no, no. But to me, it almost sounds racist. What is? Do, anytime they substitute the C for a K. I also don't like when people put a Z instead of an S at the end of a word. What mm. is that? I did send you a text message that said it's making me nuts with a That's Z. That's fine. Okay. But like an, uh, an establishment or a uh-huh. business calling themselves like... Crazy cuts. <laughs> oh, that does have a Z in it. But C-U-T. Oh, what if K, crazy cuts, K is at the beginning, both K is, right. then both Z's at the end. Terrible. Terrible. They probably have that. <laughs> they probably do. We object. Annoyed. Yeah, I don't like it. Why are you doing that? You know, it's funny. Vent- are you familiar with Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. For some reason, this particular street has more establishments with puns as names than any other street I've ever been on in my whole life. We're talking every other. Sh- it's like hair shop, lamp stores. They're all puns. Do you think it's like the copycat effect? I think it is that. I think everybody, I really do. <laughs> because there's this one stretch right off of Topanga, for like around Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles. Every single store. And I was like, what is the deal with Can all you the remember puns? remember specifically? Oh, yeah. It's like there's an ironworks place, like a wrought iron place that's called something with iron, like... <laughs> I can't even remember, but there were, there's a haircut, play, uh, you know, hair salon. I know people know. are trying to be creative. That's why they're doing it. Yeah. They but think it, it's it like really, catchy. It had, a, it had a contagious effect on Ventura Boulevard. <laughs> well, maybe they I mean, need to I'm hire Landon so. to write them a jingle or something. That's right. I, I was mean, so mad when I was laying there. <laughs> he did come up with brain candy. True. So he's good at that. Yeah. He is good at those things. Yep. But sometimes maybe he's the one who's good at the puzzles for the New Yorker. The you know the captions, the captions for the right. New Yorker. Uh, maybe that'd be his. Cartoons. Yeah, I don't get. I don't know how to do that. Mm. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, I am bummed out about something. What? Are you bummed out that Jesus and Mero are no longer going to be on Viceland, and they Why? had their last show the other night? I'm Why it's canceled? That. No, they got a new show on on Showtime. They're like. That's legit talk here. show hosts. Right. I mean, they were legit talk show hosts before, but now they're like... Will you watch moved. it? Or? Heck yeah, I will. Yeah. You love them. Mm-hmm. The brand is strong. What is the deal with them? I just love them. Are they better than Two Dope Queens? <sighs> Different. Why? What are they about? I don't get it. They, you'd actually probably like their videos because I think when we go into our poo stories, we're right in with... Uh, with uh, why don't we get things like uh, Showtime host? What know. What's a gal got to do? Our brand is not that strong. All right. Well, I'll work on it. Yeah. I was sad recently because I read about how um, Laura Ingalls Wilder. <gasps> yeah. She, they had a. Um, I don't know why I had such a reaction. I was like, what are you going <laughs> to say? She died right. 50 years <laughs> like, ago. Wait, she's already dead. Um, I know this. She, there was an, a literary award that was in her name. And they decided oh. to remove her name from it because she had questionable references to Native Americans and I think people of color in her writing. 
Yeah. Keep in mind, of course, that she was writing at the turn of the 20th right. century. Um, I also heard that it, I feel like that, that the same is being said that about uh, Helen Keller. <laughs> what? That she was. She can't even I, see that, color. I, I, heard, that I heard that she had like anti-Semitic. Why are you laughing? I mean, I get it. <laughs> like, but I, oh, anti-Semitic. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But I could, I mean, this is just what I've heard. Of all people. Right. Who really should accept everyone. Mm-hmm. Let me look at, let me Google it. Yeah, so Google it. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Uh, you Google that. Um, but apparently, and I'm not familiar with the references, but in one of her books, she said there were no people there, just Native Americans. For example, <gasps> that's oh, one example. Oh, no, no, no. But apparently... When this was brought to her attention by a reader in the 1950s, they were like, yo, mm-hmm. she removed it and apologized. Oh. Okay. To me, that's like, all right, she learned because yeah. think about what time yeah. period. Yeah. The Civil War was like a couple decades before. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. But what do you think? Do you think they should have kept the award her in her name or move on with the times? Oh. Because her contributions to literature still matter. Well, if she went back, and I think there was that, that you know, she kind of learned and, and made a comment on it, or, yeah. or you know, I, then I think it, it's fine. The, but if she were like, no, I stand by everything I said, oh my God. then I'd be like, no, take that shit down. Yeah, I mean, the, the award said, we still think her contributions to literature are great, and you should read her books, but it doesn't, she doesn't. Her views don't represent what we want this award to represent. So I guess uh-huh, that makes sense. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's like if you... Then I think there are... You look hard enough into anybody's thing and you can find... Especially within the context of yes, the time the ta- period. That's what I'm really thinking about is like... But it's kind of like tearing down the Confederate statues. I, which that's also where my mind went. And I'm like, take those things down. Yeah, I'm fine go. with them. Gotta go. Yeah, so I guess it makes sense. But I was yeah. bummed out because yeah. I've always really liked... Up, that series. Update on the Marilyn Monroe statue. It's humongous. Dude, I'm not okay with it. I know. I'm like, not okay. Yeah, it's once I huge. saw how big. Yeah. I'm like, I thought you would have to try to look up her skirt. No. You can hardly see her face. Right. So far away. Holy crud. Yeah, once I saw it, I was like, whoa. And there's something, I mean, they're like white panties that are like, and that I just, I don't like anything about it. <laughs> I agree. I thought, this is trying to be something. Yeah, that... it creeped me out a little. Yeah. And I'm like, this is definitely made by a man. <laughs> and just why did it have to be so humongous? No shit. If it were a little bit more just normal human size. Right. It would be like kind of okay. Yeah. You are actually standing in her crotch when you take a picture underneath it. Exactly. It's just not not for me. No. And... Yeah. So I feel bad for those worshipers at the church where her rear end is facing. Mm. Any any word on oh that? What God. were you looking up? Did you get sidetracked? Yeah, no, you know, I like Whatever. I'm, I'm wondering if you know what? if it was a rumor or if it's really true because it's like it there are a few things that say like oh, it's one of those dealies. Yeah, I wonder if it is. Like it says like the politics of of Helen Keller and I'm going to follow up on that because yeah, I'm, I'm real into Helen Keller. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, rumor that 
is not a rumor is that you have to change your filter in your house. That is a fact. And in fact, Sarah now I'm know. very aware of filters. <laughs> and I was like, I went through Target the other day and I'm like, oh my God, they have a whole section yeah. for them. This is something we should definitely be changing on the regular. Yeah. Sarah didn't know that you have to change the fil- air filter I'm in your recent, house. I'm a new homeowner, people. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's like this Filter Easy is a company that lets you do that, but you don't have to think about it because it's a subscription service and the filters just arrive at your front door. Yeah, you can think about it as much as I do, which is nice. <laughs> It's so simple. It just shows up and you're like, oh, I need to change my filter. Mm-hmm. And then you keep your air clean and healthy. And it's super easy to sign up. You can go in under five minutes on your computer or your phone. Um, all you have to know is how many air filters your home needs and the size because different homes have different size filters. Um, and most people forget to, to change them and it matters Yeah, for kids and adults. To, if air quality is bad in your house, oh my gosh, yes. Grody indoor generation. We need this. <clears throat> right. None of us are going outside. Right. The least we can do is keep <sighs> our inside healthy. Filter easy is a convenient subscription service. So it's something you need versus most subscription boxes, which are just more fun it's super practical. It's a no-brainer, and that's why we subscribe to Filter Easy. And for our listeners, you can receive your first order free by visiting filtereasy.com or calling 1-855-910-EASY-3279. Make sure you use offer code BRAINCANDY, though. Sign up today at filtereasy.com to get your first order free. That's filtereasy.com or call 1-855-910-EASY-3279. Make sure you use offer code brain candy. No brainer. Um, okay, so I'll check on Helen Keller. Yeah. Um, okay, I am also bummed out. This is a thing, list of things yeah. I'm sad about. What is Susie sad about? So, you know that guy that we talked about before from Pixar, John Lasseter? Yeah. And then oh it turned boy, out. Oh boy, do I. Yeah. Well, <sighs> Pixar, of course, you know, Toy Story, all the, all the hits. Yeah. And he was what? The brains behind? Yes. What? What was he? He was, he's like the, Did he come up with the stories? Toy Story. He was, the ideas, creator. Everything. The creator of Pixar and everything. He, he's the the guy. He's the guy. So, and then it turned out. I wonder what his official title is. He's probably like the. I think he was like the Disney. Is he like the executive of Pixar? What would it be? Right. I don't know. But he was like the head guy and kind of like everyone bowed down at his throne. And anytime you have that, you have um, potential for a problem. We found out during Me Too that he was a creeper and that he made a lot of women feel very uncomfortable. Now, when you look at him through that lens, he has that freaking look. I've never heard a Me Too story where I was like, that just doesn't make sense. Okay, so he began as an animator with the Disney company, and then he joined Lucasfilms, and he he was one, one who was in that team that discovered CGI. And because oh. Toy Story was the very first CGI cartoon that was like that. Yeah. And he I remember that Disney didn't want, believe in the whole project. And they were like right. this isn't going to work. Yeah. So like he did his own thing, but it says that he's he directed those. He became an uh, executive producer for Pixar films. Yeah, and a, I oh. think a lot of people considered him to be the brains behind the operation, sort of the the reason it existed. Mm-hmm. So in Variety, 
uh, Variety.com yesterday, there was a guest column by a woman who worked at Pixar Mm -hmm. describing what it was like. And, you know, I had heard that he made a lot of women feel uncomfortable and things like that. But when she detailed what it was like in the culture that it fostered. Oh, my God. Tell me. It was worse than I thought. This is awful because it's it's like if you say this was happening on Sesame Street. Like it's ruined. Like Pixar is so important for so many wonderful things. And this just muddies the water and it makes it, it, it feels it's icky. weird. Tell me everything. The message that the uh-huh. movies convey uh-huh. isn't being mm. practiced. It wonder, makes me wonder that, you know, how like you can't, if you repress something, then it comes out in other ways that's even more unhealthy. So maybe this whole, like a, a, an adult man's obsession with childhood fantasies, like in childhood, you know, I think good. there's a lot brewing. Yeah. There. Yeah. This could be gross. <laughs> she was describing how she was a graphic designer and, um, she had was warned. This is what's often what we experience where, you know, another woman yeah. will take you aside and be like, just, just watch out for so-and-so. He's yeah. a creep. This is what women do for each other. And so she was warned, like, he's this guy, and you just kind of, like, find your way to cope with it and whatever. And he's, like, would leer at them and make comments and, you know, just creep. But then, eventually, she was uninvited to meetings, business meetings, because they said, quote, uh, John can't control himself around women. So the women were just uninvited. To these meetings where... Oh, because he can't... So basically, so, they're kicking out the... Oh, yeah. That's, and it, so that's then, messed up. Who are you going to promote? The person that's in the meeting. Right. <gasps> right? So I then, wonder how long... I, you know what? That makes me think. This can't be the only place this has happened. Oh, hell no. This is what I believe is the rule rather than the exception. I think you're right. Where women are We're excluded. We're too distracted by her in the room so even just if you think about the golfing that goes on and where deals are made oh that's totally true and women aren't on there because a lot of women don't golf if they were held in shopping malls for example Mm -hmm. or where women tend to spend their free time then i bet different people would get promoted you're totally right not that women don't golf but i mean numbers wise they Mm -hmm. tend not to Mm -hmm. and so anyway she was disinvited to the meetings because he couldn't control himself and I'm sure uh, other women as well. And uh, so an example she gave of like a leader, a woman who was a leader of one of their projects, went to the person above her and said, hey, I can't do all this. I need a team to help me with this project. And they were like, nope, you're on your own. It was way too much work. She snapped and had to take a sabbatical because she had a, basically a breakdown. Mm-hmm. They replaced her with a man and gave him a six-person team <gasps> to do the job. Stop it! Yes! This is so... Infuriating. <sighs> it feels like it's just an uphill battle. The, I, know, I know, it is depressing. It's like, come on! Then, the, the author of this article went to one of those performance reviews mm-hmm. where they list your strengths Mm -hmm. and your weaknesses and on the negative list here are some of the things that are negative about her she gave them too many options with her designs she tried too hard 
Oh my fucking god. Sorry, Linda. I'm pissed. And she asked too many questions. This is so annoying. So and basically, they'd like her to sit there, shut up, and... But if she did that... Then they would be like, you're not in team player, you're not involved, and we really would like to see a range of work from and you. And you're not proactive, and yeah. you're not you ambitious. You can't win. You can't win. You cannot win. No. You cannot win. And when men... I would say it's probably similar for minorities as well. Way worse. Yeah. Way Way worse. This yeah. the author was a white woman, and I'm sure if she were a woman of color, she might not have even got the job in the you're, first and place. And yeah, you're right. Not even the performance review. And she told God, her so colleague, her male colleague, about the review, and the guy was like, "Yeah, if you were a man, all those things would have been on the positive column. Yeah, they, they would have noticed them, and they would have thought, boy, this guy's a great yeah. asset to the team.' That's crazy. Yeah. And so she's saying, "What do you even do?" Well, what she do quit, there? and but then now she's saying like this affected my career. I wanted to work for Pixar. Of course, it would be the dream. It would right. be like they'd be. I'm sure she's probably close to my age, or like maybe a little bit older. And that was important, right? And they, she was like, I'm going to work for this company, and that's the goal. And then the company is corrupt, corrupt, and that a mad. Oh, and it's usually that type of thing where it's like one guy isn't going to be the whole problem, but it becomes a system. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, Weinstein is the example of like the one guy, but then there were a lot of people that had to work together to make that abuse happen. Mm -hmm. So that bums me out. That's really a bummer. But you're right. It is worse when it's Pixar. Yeah. Because it's like what Uh you said, Sesame Street or something. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, that's fun. All these movies that are like form my identity. Right now, I mean, I know. Disney, I'm pissed at Disney right now. Why? I'm pissed at their lower, their low wages. Wait, what? Oh my God. You don't hear about these things? No. Oh my God. They are in trouble. So there was this big review of, uh, like a survey that was conducted of employees of Disneyland yeah. and their oh, salaries, I did hear their, that. everything. Yep. A majority of them are, uh, what do they call it? Food. Yeah. Food. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what's the word like where they 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 don't really like service industry no no no. no. it's like they there's a there's a name for it basically like the insecure food insecure and housing insecure because they are living in motels they are not making an hourly wage that's even enough to pay for housing in the area none of them are like struggling where to find their next meal most of them are way under um, yeah i did hear that it's really bad how they pay like just the minimum the baseline bare minimum and, yeah. and then and they and they say how hard it is to go and be a happy like be creating this they can't even afford tickets to the park that they work at for their own children and yet they're supposed to be creating this atmosphere of everybody's so happy and they're Fantasy. always supposed to be like the happiest for the customer but they don't know they are you know one paycheck away from being homeless a lot of them and they're it's really, really awful. And the CEOs just gave themselves a like multi-million dollar bump in their salary. Right. And I'm like really mad at Disney. Well, a lot of people struggle with money stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people have really high interest on their credit cards. And that can cause 
a ripple effect too Mm -hmm. with regards to their money and how they live. And we partnered with a company called Lightstream who does credit card consolidation loans. In fact, I got an email from somebody who used the service and she saved over 10% in interest on her Oh my gosh, that's great. I know. I was so excited and so glad she emailed me to tell me because she was really happy. And she said, um, you know, that it was super easy. So Lightstream rewards consumers that have good credit with great interest rates and no fees. Get a credit card consolidation loan from 5.89% APR with AutoPay. You could save thousands of dollars like our one listener told me she did. Wow, that's amazing. The application is 100% online and it's super easy. It takes just a few minutes. It's not... It's not complicated, Um, and you could even get your money as soon as today. Our listeners get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash braincandy, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash braincandy. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Um, but that is really cool. It makes me mad, though, when I hear people at sort of like the, mm-hmm. what do you call that, uh, working class, yeah. people just trying Service to get... Service industry. Yeah, kind of. man. Yeah. And they're getting the runaround. Yeah, man. <sighs> My, You know, our assistant, Dahlia, works at the uh, Bippity Boppity Boutique. She right. has no complaints, so she's loving it. Yeah. She's happy. And um, I keep, when I was at Disneyland the other day, I saw all those little girls that do like the makeovers that Dahlia does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have the glitter yeah. in their hair and they look like they, they're so happy. Yeah, they really love it. So they do love it. There's always, you know, room for improvement. That's for sure. At places. So hopefully they'll change their ways. I think they should. I think they should give a 2 or $3 <laughs> bump. Sarah's offering her business advice. Yes. Um, what do you think about when people use a bunch of exclamation points? Mm. Are you into that? Mm. <laughs> like in texts or kind of, I think I, I, I max out at three, you... anything more than three exclamation points. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> so you feel like, like, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, okay, three point, exclamation three point, exclamation is point. your limit. Yeah, but I, I mean, I can't even think of something that would, that where I would put that many exclamation points now. Because now we have emojis that would kind of do it for me. That's a really good point. There was an article in the Atlantic about it. Like, sounds like yelling now. The, <laughs> the how everyone is using so many exclamation points, and in the article they did say that, like. Because three was the number that most people chose for, like, if you really oh wanted gosh, to. Oh, so it's not yeah. just me. But then they said, well, what will it be in five years? And they said, well, it'll probably be replaced yeah. with something else, maybe an emoji or something mm-hmm. like that. But they were pointing out how, like, it used to be the case that, for instance, in a newspaper, if they really, mm-hmm. if it was, the That's only true. time they would do it was war over. All, all exclamation point yeah like big but big stuff it had yeah. to be like fucking global right <laughs> and um now i don't know in terms of when i communicate especially as a woman i feel like i have to always be like if i put a period people will be like why are you being so uh-huh you're right understated it's so funny that i was reading something that was like 
Remember when LOL actually meant laughing out loud? <laughs> not like I'd like you to not think that this text message is passive aggressive. Right? How it's like we're saying, like, LOL, like, Did you, know. you ever L? When? All the time. In, no. In fact, to your, when I say LOL and in, in <laughs> your, in text message to you, I am actually Ling. <laughs> no. Out louding. I can say um, that is almost never true for me. I, I'm definitely a, a. I like that. I like knowing that though. Oh, speaking of laughing out loud, I had the cutest, most wonderful experience picking up something from a FedEx office today. Let me tell you how it went. <laughs> I drove up Sarah. to the gate where I have to pick up this big package. And I, the woman asked for my ID and I give her my ID and then she holds it for a bit. And I'm like, Oh God, what is this? Right. Is it going to be trouble? And she's like, <laughs> can you smile for me? And I was like, Oh, oh what no. is this? And I take off my glasses and I like smile for her. And she goes, I just saw those dimples in your picture. And I just wanted to like get the same feeling in, like have you experience the same feeling in your heart right now. And I was like, Oh my God. Thank you. And she like made my day and it was That's so sweet. That's the worst story no, I've ever No, it was really heard. adorable. And it was so sweet and it was so lovely. And I was like, oh, somebody just trying to- Was she white? No. Then I like it. Yep. That's why I like it too. Because I was, yep. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. She was a That's really so lovely older Indian woman. And That's we had fine. a really nice combo and she was so sweet and she okay. like made my day. Would it have made your day if it were a white man? Nope. Or a white woman? Probably not. Yeah. Why? No, if it were a white woman, yes. But if it were a white man, I would probably think he's flirting with me, and I wouldn't like it. But she was not. We were just. She was what just having she a, was a regular human connection, you, though. I, okay. Yeah, it was like I'm a not. human connection, you know. And I told you in last last episode, I'm like trying to work on my human connection. So I was like putting the vibe out there of like niceness, and she like gave it right back to me. And I was like, see, I shouldn't have instantly thought like. What is this hassle of like, you know? But the reason that I would be inclined to think, what are you doing and stop annoying me is because most of the time someone tells me to smile, Uh it is a sexist, annoying, terrible thing. so it was so lovely when it wasn't. Okay. I mean, what was her intention though? I think to just spread joy. Spread joy. Because why does like, she just more smi- people like what well, I would have preferred it if she said, "Oh, I love this picture of you. You look so happy." You would have smiled naturally, but it was like nice how she did it, and then it like caught me off guard, and I was like, oh. "She said it in such a sweet way." Like I'm glad I that just made wanted your day. to spark this same emotion and joy in you today, and I was like, "Thank you. You have a lovely day. <laughs> oh I hope God. that I spark joy in you." <laughs> You're so much more tolerant of those like novelty that. acts. I am. She probably does it to everyone. Yeah, probably, and I'm fine with that. But you know what? <laughs> good for her because she's putting goodness out in there into the universe. She's not like my water bottle lady in Brazil. So I'm down. <laughs> Were you I'm happy like, to watch that video I was again? so happy. It was the best. What's your favorite part? Um, The fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is the water bottle, I think. That's true. Um. Uh, just to wrap up though about the exclamation points. Oh yes. No, just one thing I wanted to add was that I thought was interesting was how they say that what used to denote intensity now is just used to show sincerity. And I thought that was an interesting observation Mm. about the way that a punctuation has evolved. I was wondering how exclamation points are used in newspaper today. I don't think they are. I don't think they are either. No. When was the last, like... 
Good point. I, I want to know what a headline yeah, with an exclamation how, point. Like, yeah, it, I totally see it in my mind. Yeah, like Truman yeah, wins. Exclamation point. Wonder if they had, um, you know, the AP style book. Yeah. Maybe they made a decision to remove them from what? Well, I Why just are you wrote, because I'm like, boy, oh boy, do I know it? Because I like, I <laughs> writing a lot of papers. Everybody thinks got to be APA formatted. Well, oh, APA. Yeah, AP, which is different talking, yeah, than this yeah, time, yeah. but it's just reminded me <laughs> about how I, I was. Tr- I was triggered. I was triggered because I recently wrote a paper. So yeah, you know. yeah. This I think it must be because. That would be considered bad form now, too. Yeah. Is it, to, you know, it seems like it would the be. News and with it, an exclamation. Yeah. But it's almost like we've made up for it in our private communications mm-hmm. because now everybody... You think there's ever going to be a... Oh, my gosh. Do you think we're ever going to get to a point where there are emojis in <gasps> journalism? It's definitely becoming more appropriate to send them in office memos. Oh, my God. I'm seeing it. I am inclined to say no, but it, don't. But have it, we talked about this being the evolution of language. It's weird really though how we went like, from hieroglyphics yes, back to them. That's what I'm saying. I don't know, Sarah. Be, oh my God, Suze, that's a really good point. Maybe they had it right all along, and we really just need to convey. <laughs> we complicated. We things. totally did with all these extra freaking letters. True, but I mean, emojis for sure can be read in different ways, which is how the eggplant has gone from being an eggplant to something else entirely, (laughs) right? Uh But if you are going to be using eggplant, I recommend using it with HelloFresh. Well, yeah. Because they'll tell you how to do it right. I was just going to say. It'll be so yummy. We're obsessed. I really, I really am. Landon I likes any love Hello it. Fresh that he says. Can we order a loaf? Because he's like, do they have any loaf options? What does that even mean? Meatloaf. Oh. Like he loves their. He's like they always have the best gravy. He likes comfort foods. Yeah, he love. They had a, a pork, like a pork meatloaf the other night mm-hmm. that we had. Oh my god, it was so so good. And he makes them. And I have not cooked once in the past two weeks, Suze. Oh my gosh, Not I'm so one happy time. for you. Every night I come home to dinner and it's because HelloFresh because he's like, I already got it there. Wow. And I don't have to grocery shop. That is so great. And I'm partial to like the Asian dishes like Korean beef and things oh, like that. Oh my gosh. So good. You know, have you had that bimbap so whatever? Good. What, what is it was it like award winning too. Yeah, and I was like, no wonder. So good. <laughs> oh. You guys should try it because it brings excitement to your cooking, but it's also simple and convenient. It's really affordable and you know you don't have like sarah said you don't have to go to the grocery shop so much which i hate doing um and it's fun if you have kids too because they can help and we have a deal for you for 30 dollars off your first week of hellofresh visit hellofresh.com slash brain candy 30 and enter promo code brain candy 30 that's 30 dollars off your first week of hellofresh at hellofresh.com slash brain candy 30 and enter code brain candy 30 and you can eat like sarah and my next door neighbors who are also doing it now because we convinced them that's great Mm -hmm. we're sharing the love because once you get on it you get like uh uh like meals you can gift to other people yeah like here you go give your friend a week free and so i've just been like like making it rain and meals (laughs) that's here you go that's nice oh god all right, but yeah, hey, hit me up if you guys want one. Oh my you know, God, use that brain candy code it. and then stop it. Use me. Stop it right now. Um, so our listener named Allison, 
who shout out to Allison. She's a loyal brainiac. And she sent an article that was from 2011 that I hadn't seen in the New York Times about this dude. I don't know if you've heard about him. Mm. He was beaten the crap out of by five dudes outside of a bar because he was a cross-dresser. I would say, yeah, I feel like I've heard the story, but I feel like the story I've heard is one of a hundred of these stories. Good point. So maybe I heard... He suffered amnesia and all kinds of terrible um, effects, of course, from that incident. But then weirdly, you know how things happen in your brain or whatever, and he developed this coping mechanism where he created a world in his backyard of like Barbies and um, World War II model airplanes and I think G.I. Joe's. Mm -hmm. And he calls this world, let me see what the name is because I can't remember, Um, Mar Wenkal, and it's a combination of his name and then the names of two women that he had crushes on. Marwin Call, and there's a documentary by that same name, uh, chronicling. I know, chronicling his life. He, when he suffered the blows, mm-hmm. he at that time was an alcoholic. He no longer craves alcohol afterwards, mm. and he used to be a really good artist, and now he can't draw. Okay, what's with that? Hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, I know the one I weird can't things flesh can flesh out is the brain. alcohol one because that seems like you can't like pinpoint a specific location in the brain. Maybe I don't know. I guess. But for the art one, I could imagine it's just damage to a certain right area, you know, like Phineas Gage when he got the railroad spike through his head and became a dickhead. <laughs> uh, do you know do you have any information about cross dressing? Because I don't exactly understand it when you're not a homosexual or... Like, I know Eddie Mm -hmm. Izzard Mm -hmm. is an example Mm -hmm. of somebody who calls himself a transvestite Mm -hmm. and did Mm -hmm. or does cross-dress. But what is that when you're not transgender or... Yeah, it's more like just a... I mean, some, I guess, would call it like a fetish or something like in that kind of category. But I would say that... Either, I mean, it depends on how they, what the purpose of it is and what they enjoy out of it. He says I it was, for it's some just it, soothing. Yeah. I was going to say for some, I, it could be a coping thing. Like maybe they, you never know yeah. where it came from, but it could be something like they really enjoyed watching their mom get dressed in the morning. And that was a really special time for, you know, or like little boys like to play dress up the same way little girls do. And maybe like, you never know what could could, I don't know, get that locked in there, that that's a enjoyable thing. But then there's also maybe that little something about it being a form of like self-expression or, you know, there, then there's like the sexual yeah. component where if there's a, if that's how, if they, he's, you know, driving sexual pleasure from that, then it's in a different category. He wasn't, but I know some people yeah. do. So it really depends on what the motivation behind it is Mm -hmm. i think you know and then some some people just enjoy like a taboo like it's it's a taboo and it's exciting and a little rebellious yeah maybe a little dangerous if you got caught for it once and then you kind of liked that feeling and you know excitement arousal and excitement and adrenaline and fear and all those can kind of get all 
kind of not jumbled, but well, hard to, to distinguish. So you never know. He, when he got back from the hospital and saw all of his women's shoes, he said, did I have a girlfriend? Cause oh. you know, he had amnesia and they were like, no, you're a cross dresser. And he was like, oh, okay. And so he tried it and he was like, yeah, I do kind of like it. So Interesting. Kinda, yeah. Cause he had amnesia and he didn't remember. Okay. So that makes me think that it was from some stored memory that it's deep down in there, that that desire to do that stems from some memory where after the attack, those connections weren't as strong, but all he needed was something to remind him of that. Yeah. And then it re-strengthened those connections. Yeah. Dude, that's cool. They're making a movie about it and Steve Carell is going to play him. Woo! That's pretty I cool. love that. Yeah. It must be a very interesting story because you you read it in the article and it's like, oh, that's interesting, but I bet the documentary... Yep. And then Steve Carell is a perfect, I think, you know, when he did that uh, movie, what was the Fox Catcher? Hmm, I didn't see it. Oh, Susie, you know the real story about the the really rich guy who is obsessed with wrestling. I do not. And so he he's like a very wealthy heir to some fortune. And but it was kind of a fuck up forever, and he he was this really awkward guy who was obsessed with wrestling, and he be, like started it was so bizarre. He started his own like wrestling team out of his house, and he paid a bunch of these guys to be on a team and trained them for I don't know if it was for the Olympics or something like that. But then ends up killing one of the. There's like a murder at the end where he like murders one of. The, it, it gets crazy, but Steve Carell, the real story, is insane. Steve Carell plays him in, in a movie that they made, and it is so fucking creepy, and you should totally watch it. Fox How is Catcher. he that good of an actor? He's really good. It's and crazy. I'm creeped out by thinking of him as, in this role where he played such a creepy guy. But then I watched The Office the other day, and I was like cracking up and loving it. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh my god, it's so weird. I watched the last episode, and it was so you know, so do you love The Office from start to finish? Nah, I don't love. I, oh, also, let me say by last episode, I meant Steve Carell's last episode, <laughs> not the last episode of The Office. Same difference, yeah. if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, that was it. It was like his last episode where he's leaving at four yeah. o'clock, and it's now so that good. I get. That was what I, in my head was like the last. I freaking love that show. But do you, after he left, you weren't into it as much? Yeah, not really. It just was weird, it was right? Just, and I felt like there was something missing. Yeah. Steve there Carell. Was. <laughs> there sure was, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. I'll put that in the um, newsletter. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, go to our website. There's a little thingy you can put your email in. Um, are you familiar with the Pittsburgh Potty? What? <laughs> Pittsburgh Potty. Wait, let me... That sounds like a sex move. <laughs> like this Cleveland Steve. Yeah. <laughs> no. The Pittsburgh potty is, is because people in Pittsburgh are huge por- sports fans. So <laughs> they had to create a special potty that you can use while you're in the stands so you don't have to miss out on any <laughs> of the game. That's a fair guess. Okay, I'm way off. Pittsburgh potties... Uh, I never knew were an unusual thing because I grew up in Pittsburgh, but they're not limited to Pittsburgh. It is basically a toilet Mm -hmm. that is in your basement, but is accompanied by no walls, sink, 
or anything else. Oh, okay. I see what this is. This is like a basement bathroom that was unfinished, sort of, where they just kind of left it's it open. It's just a toilet huh? hanging out in your basement. I feel like your dad would be into that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, he would be into that. We didn't happen to have one, but in my, my head, you totally did. did. I like I've created what your house look what your childhood home looks like and it there is an unfinished downstairs basement with like exposed like insulation and a Pittsburgh potty in it that, and clowns painted on the walls. The basement is finished, but I mean that's a loose <laughs> definition. What's that wood paneling, you know, uh-huh. all that stuff. Yeah. But my uncle did have a Plywood. Pittsburgh potty. So you can see, like, on BuzzFeed pictures of them. Oh, my God. That's real funny. But they, so no one really knows why they're there. Mm-hmm. Some people believe that it's because, like... Some people believe. Like, it's old folklore. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it could have been because so many people were working in the steel mills and the coal mines and stuff. And so when they would come home from work, they would want to, like, clean off or go to the bathroom, I guess, before, like, going upstairs. Oh, But okay. you'd think you'd need a that's sink for that. But like, using the toilet. So people think that's where it came from, but then other people were like, "No, it's just come it's because <laughs> because um, whenever you're plumbing backed up, like back in the day before plumbing was like more advanced, uh-huh. the lowest point is where the water would overflow. So you always wanted to have a area in the basement that would mm. be. The place where it would come up because you didn't want it to come up into your oh, like living space. It's like I've heard of that happening. Oh yeah. Oh Did my... it never happen in your house? This happened all the time at our house. We didn't have no. Well, you guys don't have basins around here. Yeah, nor do we have septic tanks. And did you have that, or was it? Mm-mm. It was just okay. bad old plumbing. Yeah, pipes, that's it. I think because everything's older. Yeah. Um, in the east as well, because this. Isn't just Pittsburgh. It's like on the, along the east. Uh, well, my favorite thing is that I just put it into Google and it corrected it to Pittsburgh toilet and sent me to the Wikipedia page. Right. I always called it a Pittsburgh toilet too, but then the article called it a potty. Yeah, because it's alliteration. Yeah. It's real fun. But yeah, we always called it a Pittsburgh toilet. Oh my gosh. It really is in the middle of the room. Right. It is so weird. It is. And it is, it is interesting. <laughs> Are you appalled? I because why wouldn't you add a sink though, too? Right. If you're gonna do that, if you're just like I don't want walls, I think you're probably more on track with it being like an overflow place. Which yeah, is kinda, and like, so disgusting. make it a toilet. Yeah, but really, it's just so that there's a really low exit point uh-huh. Uh-huh. for all the sewage. That's oh my good. God. Our, we used to have sewage down in there all the time. What? It must be like a Pittsburgh problem. <laughs> We have a lot of shit. Pittsburgh potty problem. Um, did you receive your fixed car thing? Oh boy, did I. In fact, I have it waiting at home. I'm so excited to use it because I was driving today and I was like, I think my car makes a weird noise between <laughs> second and third gear. And now I really want to know if there's anything up with it. So I'll be plugging it in. So you know that problem where... You, you're in your car and that light comes on. Yes. And you're like, uh, what does that light even mean? I never even know what it's a picture of. 
Oh, good like, point. Like, it doesn't even look like anything. Like an engine, but it does. Sometimes it looks like an engine, and sometimes it'll be like squiggly lines. And I'll be like, <laughs> what does that even mean? Right. And um, there is this little tiny gadget called Fixed that you can plug into any car made after 1996, and it will tell you through an app on your phone one of these 7,000 things that could be wrong with your car. To me, it's like I can't. If this is available, this has always been available to like auto mechanics. How did it take this long to get it into my hands? I am so happy this exists. Me too. It is pricey if you go get a diagnostic test done at an actual auto mechanic place. And if you happen to have boobs and a vagina, (laughs) chances are good they're going to take advantage of you. So this is a way around that, I think. It is so cool. I'm buying one for my mom immediately. Oh, that's smart. Because it will send an alert about, hey, here's what's going on with your car. You, you know, maybe you need air in your tires or maybe, because your check engine light could come on if you just don't screw on your gas cap right. 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 And so what if you took it to your mechanic? $75 to be like, uh, tighten that thing. Exactly. Dummy. Um, (laughs) And they could take advantage too. That's what I'm saying. They could be like, oh, you need a new engine. It's happened to me before. (laughs) Right. Where I'm like, are you kidding me? <sighs> it's so awesome. You can monitor several cars through your phone too, so it's not just one. Oh, that's um, good. And right now you can get fixed for as low as 39 bucks each. Plus our listeners will get an additional 10% off when you enter promo code BRAIN at listentomycar.com. Go to listentomycar.com and enter promo code BRAIN for an additional 10% off the already discounted price. I think this is such a great it is. thing. I'm so into it. Okay. We have a guest. Ooh, I can't wait. When I was in grad school, I had to read books by this woman named Diana Butler Bass. Mm-hmm. And um, this book is written by her. It's called Grateful, The Transformative Power of Given, Giving Thanks. And like, you know me, I'm cynical. So I'm like, oh, geez, what is the deal? I bet my lady I ran into at FedEx would really, really (laughs) like this book. She would. She would love it. She'd be like, I already know everything in it. The truth is people even like me will like it because Diana herself says like she's not a thankful person. Great. I mean, that's not great. (laughs) Glad there are many of you. She sounds like a a delight. Um, But it's really cool because she looks at like what is gratitude? How can we practice it? If we don't really feel like it, especially oh. right now, sometimes oh, it can yeah. feel like we don't have a lot to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not one of those Pollyanna books. It's not like everything's going to be fine if you yeah. just say these things every day. She's like, it's work. It might be a little hard, but here's how you can get into the habit. Yeah. And I, I love really like Practical. Practical gratitude. Practical gratitude. And I had her on uh, the show, did an interview with her because... I was like, let's hear the story of how she, why she wanted to write about this. Yeah. She's a glutton for punishment, if you ask me. Because like, if you're not a grateful person and you're writing a book called Grateful, I mean, come on. It's tough. <laughs> That'd be like me writing a book called How to Run. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder what that Susie's book is going to be like. <laughs> so let's welcome to the show Diana Butler-Bass. All right. Thank you so much for coming on this show. I'm really honored because... I have been following your work for a long time. So welcome to Brain Candy Podcast. Oh, thank you, Susie. It's great to be here. Uh, Well, and we've been trying to set this up for a long time, so we better make this good. 
<laughs> I'll do my best now the pressure's on. Right. Okay. So you have a book out called Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. But this isn't your first rodeo. You're Miss, like, one million books that you've written. Is it old hat for you? Uh, no. <laughs> it, it, and it, it, we're not quite at a million yet, but this was number 10. So I'm in, I'm in double digits. <laughs> Jeez Louise, can you believe that? I actually can't. Um, and this one was really unique. And I think that you'll be interested in why it was unique. And this is why it's just not the same as all the rest of them. The, the other nine um, were written out of a sense of my confidence and my expertise, yeah. you know, because I have a PhD in religious studies. So I've been writing about religious trends and history and the way in which you know, culture and faith and politics all intersect one another. So nine books on subjects that were in my core area of competence. Yeah. And so I always thought to myself whenever I was writing oh, that I was teaching, you know, I was teaching, I certainly was always teaching myself something because whenever you write a book, you're always learning more. Yeah. Uh, but I also primarily thought of myself as teaching readers and teaching an audience. And uh, in Grateful, I literally knew nothing about this subject before I started. <laughs> yeah, you kind of introduce yourself as like, I'm not, I'm not really into this. <laughs> yeah, that's how the that's how the book starts is that I'm not good at this and I've never been good at, uh, with this. And um I'm trying to figure out why it is that gratitude has eluded me. And so that's where the the book begins. So it, it really is a book where I was going on a journey to learn something new that I felt called to learn. Um but I certainly had no high level of expertise, you know, in any any field related to this, except for religion, because gratitude does intersect, you know, with theology and with religion in interesting ways. But I had never even paid much attention to that. I love it. You were just sort of like, eh, I'm not into that. But like, I study prosperity gospel and gratitude overlaps in the sense that people talk about it a lot when they talk about happiness so like the path to happiness, they often say gratitude is one of the ingredients that can contribute to um, a feeling of happiness in your life. Um, when you were going about this project, did you sense that reward? Yeah, I, I actually, I actually did. And um, it made this whole thing made me see uh, the prosperity gospel a little differently, you know, since, since my my core area of PhD work was American religious history. So I, so I known about the prosperity gospel and how that whole vision of sort of wellness and thankfulness has been part of American Protestantism in particular for a, a really long time. And, and I think what, what I mostly learned uh, is that a lot of the stuff around gratitude right now is a kind of secular prosperity gospel. Yeah. And it it takes the language of if I'm only thankful, then I will get this reward. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lot of the both in within churches and the sort of more secular form of it, uh, 
people think of gratitude as a tool um, or an instrument, you know, that will get them some reward on the other end. And uh, what I what I learned as I was unfurling this project is that that's actually not gratitude. Um, that's something we call quid pro quo. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for any for any listeners who don't know the Latin, um, quid pro quo means tit for tat. And so it's the idea of a reciprocal relationship that's based on one's own gain. And that is if I do this one thing or if I give this one gift, I will get something in return. And so the prosperity gospel has that kind of quid pro quo structure, right? Yeah at its heart. And so does a lot of secular health and wellness, um, sort of spirituality. So that is the way that gratitude come, comes out. And, and what you said is just right, is that people say, if I'm grateful enough, then I will be happy. Mm-hmm. Or, or people use it alternately as a sort of a mechanism to get a, a material, material reward. So if I'm grateful enough, I will be wealthier, or if I'm grateful enough, I will live longer, or if I'm grateful enough, um, God will take away this disease. Um, and so that is the way it's often used, and that's not what it is. Um, gratitude, there, there's actually a fight over gratitude in philosophy and in theology. Um, Can you and, believe that? That's so interesting. It is, and, and in ethics, and it's been going on for about 2,000 years. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. No, we have not. And it's fascinating to think that um, uh, this, this idea of gratitude as quid pro quo, as reciprocality that gets me something, it, the reason it's in Latin is because it developed during the ancient Roman Empire. And so for 2,000 years... Uh, we've built certain kinds of cultural and political and social structures around the idea that gratitude is a, a reciprocal relationship by which you gain what you want. Well, and when you began your project, what was your intention with it? Well, you know, I, I think that one of the things I discovered is that's why I'd always been uncomfortable with gratitude is that... I saw how gratitude had been corrupted or misused. And I even tell a couple of stories in the book about that, um, where, for example, when I lost, I, I did not get tenure in my very first ever academic job. It was a horrible experience. Yeah. And, I write, and I write about it. And um, I can remember the uh, president of the college when he told me my contract wasn't renewed. Um, saying, you know, one day you'll thank me for this. <gasps> and, and yeah, that was, that was actually my response. <laughs> it, it was like, what the heck? It's like he punched me in the gut. Yeah. And, and then he went on and he said, because you're going to get a lot out of this. And it was like, here was this person who was sitting over, over me, literally in a hierarchy, who had just taken away my job. Right. And then he was basically demanding that I say thank you to him. Yeah. And that was something I realized was a pattern that I had seen quite a bit 
um, in my life from institutional authorities and from people who were somehow involved in my life during difficult circumstances, you know, demanding things from me uh, when it was completely inappropriate. Um, and then just telling me outright that there'd be, there'd be some benefit of that. If there's one way to get me to not be thankful, <laughs> it's for you to tell me I should be. Right. And, and so, so this structure of gratitude was one of the reasons why I hated it. Yeah. When and, you see, you're like a glutton for punishment, though, because then you like dove into this nonsense. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> and and I, I did it for a couple reasons um, that were deeply personal, frankly. One was I was having a very hard time. I've, I've just now turned uh, 59. Mm-hmm. And so I was I've been thinking about this project for about two and a half years. So oh. I, I was in my you know late 50s when I started considering this and I was frustrated with a number of things in my career and I was feeling a great deal of anger and, and about at myself Hmm. about, about choices that I've made in the past that I wished I hadn't made. And also I was feeling frankly envious over people who were somewhat younger than me, who were writers in my same field who seemed to be doing so much better than I was. And um, those two things, the anger at myself and external envy, you know, one day I just sort of looked at myself in the mirror and said, is this what you want to be like? You know, do you really want these kinds of emotions to be shaping your life as you move into the last two or three decades Hmm. of being here on this planet? And and I said, you know, hell no, you know, I don't want to be that person. It's so utterly human, though, and even though I think if you asked most people, they would say they understand the virtues of being grateful and to not be envious or discontent, but like just because we know that doesn't mean it's easy to do. Yeah, it is, and it's really hard to do. And so then, what do you what do you do? You just sort of look again. You, <laughs> right. you keep your you keep your eye on the mirror, and you say, "I will be grateful. I will be grateful." <laughs> and that doesn't that doesn't cut it. And so, um, so so what I knew I needed, and this comes from you know a lifetime of being a student and a reader and a person who's just curious about all sorts of things, and and a teacher, is that I thought well. You know, maybe I don't understand what this is all about and that I that there's something here that I need to learn. And that's that's not the easiest thing to do when you're 57 years old and looking in a mirror yeah. to, to admit to yourself there's something you really don't know. Yeah, and, but I'm so glad that happened to you because that what you did in your book was so helpful to the rest of us because in a way you created this blueprint for how we can employ the same techniques because it's not some, a magic potion here, right? No, it is not. You, but you provide some practical ways that we can begin the process. Yeah. Um, what I do in the book is I, I, I definitely wanted to avoid being a scold. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. And I also wanted to avoid, uh, you know, that other pitfall of being so just obnoxiously happy yeah that it 
that it winds up being sort of accusatory. Yeah, to can it, Pollyanna? We don't want to hear it. Yeah, I, and I, I actually think that's why some people have had a hard time even picking up the book this year, hmm. because because they are expecting a kind of Pollyanna book or a scolding book. But what it is is it's really an adventure story. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. Why do you say that? Well, it's an adventure in discovery. And uh, for me to frame up gratitude by what I learned, and that is um, introducing my friends, because I was introduced to it, this uh, fourfold understanding of gratitude, Hmm. that gratitude is both a personal thing and it's a public thing. Yeah. And that it, it, it is about our emotions and it is about our ethics. Can, and so, I'm sorry, go and, ahead. And so, so what I develop is a framework of understanding where people can enter into gratitude from a variety of doorways and say, oh, I understand that. That's gratitude? I didn't know that. <laughs> or, you know, if you're a brave person, um, you can say, that's gratitude? Oh, that looks really hard, but I, but I'd like to try that. And so, and so the fourfold structure that I create in the book and the, then the whole book unfolds around that fourfold structure. Um, I had hoped people would see it as, you know, an adventure or an exploration or an invitation, uh, to pick up what they could to affirm what they already know, um, and to, to go more deeply and something that's actually quite important. Yeah, you blew my mind when you talked about gratitude as something social. I truly had never uh, thought about that at all. Can you, for the listener, describe what that means? Um, I I think that the the personal aspect of it really helps to explain it. And that is, I just told you, you know, I, I started conceiving of this book in late 2015. And you know, the contract was signed in early 2016, and I had a due date from my publisher of April 1st, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, look, I looking, <laughs> I know, looking back, it's just, it, it, looking back on that, you know, it's just like, you know, you sign a book contract and you think, oh, this will be easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to learn, I'm going to read a bunch of books about gratitude and write, write my own. Yeah. That sounds uh, great. Yeah. That sounds great. And, but, and actually my agent had said, you need to write an easier book right now because <laughs> oh you're tired. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> and then. Yeah. And then, then I wind up writing a book on gratitude against the backdrop of that hideous election. Yeah. And all that division. And um, so in 2016, here I am trying to write a little book on gratitude. And then I'd come in from my office and the news would be on. And I, could, I couldn't focus. I mean, it was terrible. And so finally I, I said to my editor, look, this book isn't due until April 1st next year, 2017. So I'm going to I'm going to keep, you know, reading and taking notes and writing little bits of it as I can. Uh but look, you're not going to get anything major from me until the end of the year because I'm not going to pick this up in a really big way again until November 9th, 
Oh my when... God. No. <laughs> I, I literally said, when everything goes back to normal, then I can write a book oh, on no, no. gratitude. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. And so, of course, nothing went back to normal and it just got worse and it's still worse now. And so that piece of how horrible everything was um, and me writing this book while all that is going on, that's what began to uh, germinate in my my brain and also in my heart. Uh, the fact that gratitude has public consequences that it it's not it's it's not just you you know sitting around the dark saying thank you thank you thank you what am I going to get now that I'm so thankful um but instead gratitude is inherently social because it connects us to gifts and givers and so you're never thankful for anything unless there's a gift and you're you can't be given a gift unless something or someone is directing gifts at you. Yeah. Uh, And so that could be God, that could be another person, or that could be the universe, you know, so there's several possibilities of gift givers. Um, But uh, otherwise, you know, you're not thankful for anything. (laughs) I mean, really. And so that there is always this social piece. And so my imagination began to expand. It's like, okay, so here's all this literature showing that gratitude um, creates happiness and not quid pro quo, but gratitude. Yeah. Um, The reception and response to gifts. Uh, Gratitude creates happiness. It creates well-being. It actually does. uh, Grateful people actually are more prone to good health outcomes during major crises of disease and illness. And that's scientifically proven. I read stuff from the National Institutes of Health about significant juried studies uh, from medical practitioners, from scientific researchers that showed that people who were heart patients who practiced gratitude had better outcomes than those who did not. Why do you think it's the case that given that science does say things like that. And over and over again, we hear the benefits of, um, positive, um, I don't know, just, just gratitude, but also positive emotion in general. And yet we're really reluctant to do it. Like no matter how many times we hear the good stuff, it's so hard. Why don't we ever, why does it never become easier? Has it become easier for you? Um, let me back up just one second and, and, and make just one more link into the social thing. And then we'll talk about the easier part. Is that okay? Yeah, man. Um, so what I began to stew on during the terrible election year and then the terrible presidency that followed, (laughs) um, and that is still going on is that, um, if indeed gratitude is good for our individual hearts, would it work the same way communally? Yeah. And so, so if you have a, 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 a an individual practice of gratitude, um, if that was part of communal life, would it function in the same direction? Hmm. Would would it create 
uh, social health and well-being? Would it create um, a capacity for a society to work out of its better angels rather than negativity and hatred? And so that became for me a really interesting question. And Mm. that's that I write about it um, and I'm still working it. I, I, I'm actually thinking my next book is going to keep pursuing the, that, Whoa. That, that question. Um, cause I You're think crazy. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what, you know, academics do. This yeah. is what teachers do. They get an idea and they follow it until it either yields fruit or it just proves itself to be just hopeless. It's a dumb, <laughs> a dumb idea, you know? Um, so I'm hoping this will yield fruit. Because I'm really reaching towards um, helping people understand that we could have a politics of gratitude that's not about quid pro quo, um, but instead is about setting a new table of gifts and sharing. And so if we did that, um, all of a sudden our social fabric looks a lot different than if we're functioning out of a communal quid pro quo. Uh, so, so that's the so- social piece. And to whether or not that's easy, no, it's mm-hmm. not easy. Because if it was easy, probably we'd already have done it. Yeah. Um, I, I likened gratitude um, in the book to being on a diet. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows that it's good for you. But just one more cookie, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, or or the fact that, you know, my my husband right now is pre-diabetic, you know, and uh, yet he finds it hard to resist Yeah, bread and sugar. And so, you know, what do you do in those cases? Uh, the, the best thing that I have discovered is, is uh, some help that comes from a book I like a lot. Um, it's called The Power of Habit. And the, the book is by Charles Duhigg. And I'd read that book a couple years ago, and I found it helpful. And what Dewey suggests is that a lot of the, uh, almost all all of our actions come out of habit. Is that we do things because they're habitually easy for us. Yeah. And so the issue at hand is not saying I'm going to be, you know, grateful or I'm going to be strong or whatever it is, but is to develop a set of new habits. Mm -hmm. And so that is essentially over the last um, two years since I started this project, that's essentially what I've done is that I have created some pathways of new habit in my life. And those habits include um, waking up in the morning and recalling just the simple fact that being alive and facing a new day is something to be thankful for. And yeah. and I, the way I developed that habit was that I have a cue. A yes, C- I love this. Yeah, C-U-E for gratitude. And this isn't in the book because I developed it this, af- this cue after I wrote the book. So I love telling people about it. Um, I have literally a, a white river rock oh. that has that has the word gratitude inscribed on it. And it sits on my nightstand. And so literally every morning when I reach for my cell phone, yeah. that, that rock is right next to my phone. 
And some mornings when I'm reaching, you know, I'm really tired. I wear yeah. glasses, so I can't see where, <laughs> where my hand's going. Sometimes my hand will land on the rock before it actually lands on my phone. And what that does is it means every morning I think, oh, there's that gratitude rock. I'm alive. Oh, man, that's good. And it's so simple. And what that does is that means the first words in my day are instead of, um, you know, damn you, Donald Trump. It's <laughs> <laughs> my first tweet of the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> or listening to Morning Joe and saying, I agree with you, Mika, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Um, my first word is actually thank you. And then I can move on to being angry at Donald Trump. Yeah. But it puts a different frame on it. Yeah. And it's, it's a frame that is more empowering to me. That gives power to to my life rather than giving him power over me. Yeah. When you brought up your cue, I thought you were referring to the prayer that you included in the epilogue. Um, right. In the words of the Buddha. I love that. Yeah. And that's another thing. I For a while, and I wrote that in the book, I just kept a sheet of, of prayers right where the rock is. Yeah. Um, but what kept happening to me, and, and I love the prayers, and that will work for some people, and it, it did work for me for a while, but the piece of paper kept slipping down on the floor, yeah. and, uh, you know, I'd cover it up with books or whatever, and so eventually I found that this this crazy little rock, it just works so much better because it just sits there. It's, it's right. and it's, <laughs> and, and it's not a scold. It's just a reminder. Yeah. It's a cue to remember what's really important. And so that's what Duhigg says is that that's how you change habits is you put a cue cue in place that reminds you to do something. Yeah. And and when you do it, it starts becoming habitual and then it becomes part of you. Yes. And I think that, like you said, some people, the paper might be the way to do it. Everyone has uh, something that, works well with the way their brain operates. That's right. Like I'm a box checker. I like the feeling when you check a box. <laughs> so I keep a list of things that I want to do every day, including meditate and stuff that's not like work related. And mm-hmm. so if you put, if you are like me and you like to check a box, you could put, be thankful or have gratitude for a hot second. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to check the box. If you have that moment, it's sort of my, that would be my cue. Everybody yeah. could have something similar that works for them, right? And that's what I say in the book is that find something that works. Yeah. And for, for some people, it's keeping a journal. Yeah. Uh, for other people, it's uh, – my husband and I actually do read a poem that's related to gratitude or mindfulness uh, before we have dinner. And uh, sometimes it's a prayer, sometimes it's a poem. But we read something that someone else has written. And that's what frames our dinner. Um, some people are just better at certain kinds of things and the rock works for me. And another thing that worked for me that might be interesting to some, some people who are in listening in is, uh, for my, my daughter is a, a college student and we have a group chat as a family and, many nights, not all nights, but many nights, I just send out a text to my daughter, my husband, who's in the house with me, but, you know, (laughs) usually watching baseball or something. Sure. Uh, And um, I'll say, hey, guys, what's everybody thankful for tonight? And 
it's really interesting that, you know, my, to bring my daughter and, and my husband into that conversation. And, Mm. and my, my daughter has come up with some absolutely fascinating and beautiful things. And it's actually been one of the ways that we've stayed connected to her while she's away away from home at college. And it's a way of creating a community of gratitude in your own family. I really like that. You guys sound like really nice people though. The rest of us are scum. (laughs) (laughs) I need to start like way before I need to just get the baseline going before I get to where you are. Oh, uh, believe me, we, we have plenty of moments. <laughs> <laughs> I read a tweet yesterday where somebody said that hope was a discipline and I never thought about it like that. And I think obviously that gratitude and hope overlap. You talk about that somewhat in your book as well. Yes. And I really liked thinking of it in those terms of it's not just sort of as you, we talked about the Pollyanna syndrome. It's a discipline where you're doing the work. That's right. Love that. And, and, you know, it's sometimes people say, Oh, just one more thing to do. But this, this is work that is actually rewarding. Yeah. Right. Your life will get better. Yeah. So, cause, and I, and I have, I have discovered that gratitude does not take away your problems, but it does give you the capacity as I said a moment ago, there's, there's something about it whereby you take back some of your power Yeah. where you're not just victimized by a corrupted system of gratitude or by a scold or by a demand for gratitude, but you develop the capacity to see gifts. You develop the capacity to form a response to the gifts of your life, um, to say yes and no, um, it's really fascinating. And, and just because this is, you know, brain candy, I mean, I, in the book, I use a lot of stuff from spirituality. I use stuff from psychology. I'm a Christian. So I use yeah. you know st- stuff from the Bible and I use it all in a very different way than most people are used to seeing it used. Uh, but the thing that I had the most fun with was, um, introducing in one of the later chapters, uh, Jane Austen. Yeah. Uh, into the narrative and, and reading Jane Austen as a writer of subversive gratitude. And, and so that, and when I, when I saw that in Austen, I, I kind of went back to medieval women mystics and uh, some other literature, contemporary poets, et cetera. It's amazing how many female writers in history Black, white, brown, the whole range of women in a variety of different cultures um, use an alternate form of gratitude to subvert the political structures that are trying to oppress them. And it's really powerful. And and our ancestors knew that. And so for, for us to pick up this practice and be able to stand in that line of women is, uh, I, I think, an amazing political tool at this moment because so much of what we're experiencing is this misogyny and then, of course, racism and misogyny combined and then racism and misogyny and homophobia combined. So if we can understand that communities that have been at the short end of demand gratitude can take gratitude as our own, and we can actually use it as a pathway of our of empowerment and resistance. 
um, then there's a real reward at the end of that. And that's what keeps me going. It keeps me going right now um, on the personal end of the equation. Okay, if I sit down, if I do this practice, <laughs> it, it is not just that I'm going to feel better, but yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that I live better. And it's also going to be not just that we can feel better as a community, but we can really resist this evil together. Ah, you took me to church. I knew you would. <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. And how awesome that you could write a book about gratitude and make it about power and um, empathy and inclusion. That's yeah. rad. You did good. Well, it's it's where it took me. And uh and honestly, you know, if we can't write about power and empathy and inclusion right now, what are, we're not speaking what needs to be spoken in the world. And yeah. so, hey, as a writer, I'm doing my job. Yeah, you do it way nicer than I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, there are different techniques, but yours is pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, well, that's very kind of you. And, you know, hey, I'm a little bit older, so I, I've got a little bit more practice under my belt. And uh, I'm I'm enjoying the fact right now that I'm almost 60, which is a little hard to say <laughs> in certain ways. But Believe me, I made plenty of mistakes when I was in my 30s and 40s. Wow. And, uh, and now I'm just in a, I'm so glad to be in a new place. And, and I really feel a profound and energetic call um, to be the kind of teacher in public that I can be. And I'm grateful for people who care to um, embark on listening to the wisdom that, you know, I can share at this point. Yeah, we're in this together. And I really look we forward really are. to hearing um, what our listeners think of your book, because I know they'll love it. Um, and we ask everybody one last thing. What do you keep in the trunk of your car, Diana? Oh, I keep in the trunk of my car um, reusable <laughs> shopping bags. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> right now in the trunk of my car, there's a a box of books. <laughs> Good. I love that. Your books or other people's? Uh, there's a box of my books because uh, I had an event and I just brought some books last time. And uh, But there's always other people's books too um, <laughs> because people send me books all the time. Exactly. So I have a box in me my too. trunk. I actually have a SUV, so the trunk is open. Uh, so there's a box in my trunk, and I put these wonderful books, and when there are enough of them, I bring them in the house, and I sort through them, and I look at all the interesting things people are writing and the gifts they've sent me. Uh, so uh, shopping bags and books, that's hey, basically it. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's a good trunk. We get a lot of answers, and we know that it represents where people are in their life. So I think reusable bags and books is a good place to be in your life. Well, thank you. <laughs> I have to say I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this book that you wrote and also the books that you wrote before that I had to, you know, get tested on <laughs> during my grad work. But you're a real, you're a badass. So thank you. Well, I actually love being called that. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because you are one. And I like to be surrounded by people like you who are inspiring and kind and smart. So good work. Keep it up. Keep writing. 
Oh, thanks, Susie. And thank you for the conversation. It's been good to meet you. Likewise. And I'll let you know when it's up, but you're off the hook. Okay. We did great. it. Yay. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you so much.